Hey crew, I'm Cam Explains, and this is Run the Block, the first show that's bringing together coaches, podcasters, and local business owners to innovate and collaborate, because I think there's crazy crossover that no one is talking about between these three amazing groups, from lessons learned to finding untapped and potential new revenue streams. Our goal is to help you get more subs, customers, clients, and more using the perfect formula of know-how, storytelling, and kindness. So you too can easily create content that converts, add more cash to the bank, lift up your community, and ignite your biz without being stuck in no man's land ever again. Today's guest takes us on a roller coaster ride because we not only tackle tactical things to help you with your day-to-day life, like special themes, but we also dive deep into this guest's personal journey and what role plant medicine actually played in it. Plus, you know us, a couple bonuses. We talk about how to triumph with patience, why seeing into the future doesn't have to be a bad thing, and what role fear can play in our lives. Bonus, bonus. Also learn what this special guest OnlyFan account might look like, and here's your hint. Book promos and nudity. I'm telling you folks, he's onto something. Please help me welcome to Run the Block, coach, gym owner, podcaster, and author, Jeff Black, owner of Iron House Strength Conditioning and RelentlessForever.com Nutrition Coaching. Ollie, you know what to do. Roll the show so these lovely people, plus you and me, can earn some XP. Let's run the block together. Uh, Mr. Jeff Black, Coach Jeff Black, Entrepreneur Jeff Black, <laughs> Podcaster. Thank you yeah. so much uh, for uh, for jumping on today. We were just uh, talking. Well, thanks uh, for having me, man. I really enjoyed uh, chatting before we went live and just kind of catching up. It's nice to see you again. Oh, of course, man. Um, you're always uh, an interesting cat to catch up with because I feel <laughs> like you're uh, you're doing a million things all the time. And so, you know, the joke is, you know, you always find someone that makes you feel lazy and you always make me feel lazy, whether it's the amount of books you read, that's amount of stuff that you're involved in. I swear to God, every day you're on a different podcast or launching <laughs> a new podcast of your own. So, <laughs> it, you know, man, um, and it's funny because I'll see other coaches who will put like all this content out and I'm like, I'm so lazy. I'm so lazy. And then like, I kind of like have really worked through this because I have, I still go to therapy. Like I work through my stuff, but now I go for like the business owner side of me to be able to have like conversations with a random, you know, person who you're just like, you form this relationship with obviously, but they don't know like what you do day to day. And I was sitting there and I was like, I feel so lazy. He's like, well, tell me about your day. I'm like, well, I religiously wake up at five, no later than three 30. I do 45 minutes of cardio. I read 50 pages while I'm doing my cardio. Um, I stretch, I shower, I listen to a podcast, I hit the gym and, and da, 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 da. He goes, so where do you feel like you're lazy? Like after he hears the whole day, I'm like, why social media, man, I log on it. I get immediately like (laughs) overwhelmed and paralyzed. Like I suck compared to all my constituents I work with. They're smarter than me. They're more brilliant than me. And here I am 17 years plus in the game and haven't done too bad for myself. And I still suffer from that. You know, it's just wild at times when, so I appreciate you saying that because sometimes I'm like, ah, I feel guilty for putting my feet up, you know, and like taking 30 minutes or something like "Ah, I could have, could have done a great TikTok. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) what I'll think and uh, it's terrible. So thank you for that compliment. Of course, but, but that's hilarious. Right. And it's always comparison. Like we're always looking to somebody else that's always doing something and who knows that person that we think has a thousand views, may not even do half the things you do in a day. Right. So like, that's, 100%. that's funny to hear you even, you even go through that yourself, but oh yeah, uh, it was interesting that you said, you know, Monday, Wednesdays, you kind of, uh, this was off air, but you kind of 
not have a laid back approach, but you kind of don't schedule a lot. You said you do a little, little more writing. So is that intentional or is that something that like you kind of just developed over time or is it something else? So I'm very intentional with my time. Like my calendar rules me, therefore I can control time. And what it was is I went to this writer workshop, I guess last month it was in Austin and uh, my mentor in writing, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote um, Turning Pro, The Legend of Bagger Vance, The War of Art, he had encouraged me to go and I like, I was looking at it and I was just talking to some of these like great writers like Max Tucker, um, this guy, Ali, came not the woman's name, but the theme was they would literally just sit there and you're talking, these people had written like 40 and 50 books. And like, I was just like, huh? You know, like, like trying to wrap my layman mind around it. And they were like, yeah, it's just calendared it out. I'm like, ah, something I'm really good at. And so I just had like an honest assessment with myself. Like I am not bad on video, but I don't really like doing videos for social media. Right. I really like writing. So this has led me to go down like where I write during the day, I might write like content stuff or write more for my book I'm working on. Um, and I've been using like medium and blog posts and stuff like that to drive a lot of my traffic because that's a mode that I really like utilizing to connect with people is through writing. I'm not bad at storyteller leadership and I do a generally good job with that. So I've just been kind of looked at my schedule and just said, Hey, I think it's, I think it's important if you're a business owner to have playtime is what I'm getting at. I think if I like had to really summarize this thought, like now as I really, you know, once you start unpacking it, it becomes a thought. And I think that I just made sure to schedule playtime for myself, Cam. I was just kind of like, you know, and that just kind of evolved into writing or I might play on my whiteboard or I might look at my Rubik cube while I think about a whole sort of bunch of problems. But I think that it's probably just something that's evolved over time. I, I think I was very stringent and I still control it, but therefore I've stepped back from it. Are there certain things that you like to block out first, right? Like Seth Godin always calls them the bumpers, right? Like you, if you have guardrails or he uses like the hockey rink analogy to bounce <clears> off of, sometimes you find that you can actually strategize, you know, your week or month better. Do you block out certain things first or is it you just kind of let it unfold when it comes to your time? Uh, so I'm just very, because of bodybuilding, I've been doing that for 27 years. I'm just very disciplined with time. My day is just very structured and it's mostly just structured around like the first segments of my day. So it very much begins with me waking up, reading and all that. I think that turning my mind on the right way and, and learning is probably like where it first starts with like bumpering myself in. But I adopt more of a theme day approach. So every day is a theme to me. Like Monday is more my admin writing day. Tuesday is my podcast day. Wednesday is my book writing day with, you know, where I plan time to go take a guitar lesson. Thursday's check-in day, Friday's cleanup check-in day, and team meetings. Saturday, Sunday off. And oh, that's, I, that's super smart. And I tell people to do that. And in the beginning, those weren't my themes. Like Monday was um, continuing education. Tuesday was client programming. Wednesday was client programming. Check-ins was Thursday. Check-ins were Friday because I wasn't good at that stuff yet, like proficient. You know what I mean? And when you get right. proficient at stuff, your time becomes more available to you. Um, that's why mastery is such a, a good thing. Like when you hear about like these people who've worked 10, 15, 20 years and they're bored, which is where I'm at sometimes, Cam, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't <laughs> bored sometimes. And it's like the moment of like, you've arrived. So I think bumpers serve its place, like Seth says, for some people, like, like time chunking it out. Like when I talked to Steven Pressfield, he was like, I like to get up, have a coffee, go for a walk and then come back and write. And I'll sit my ass in that chair for like, if it's three hours, I'm, 
not moving for three hours. And I think some people like me, I do better when I have like a theme day and just know overall, this is the theme to my day. And I just got to stay within the lines of it. It's super interesting that you mentioned not only your mentor, but you uh, like to do some cardio in the morning. Mm-hmm. I know that was a big thing Gary Halbert always talked about, right? He called it road work, right? Get up, go for a 45 minute run every morning. Then he'd come back for three hours and just pound away. Uh, if yeah. anyone doesn't know who Gary Halbert is, he's like one of the most famous copywriters uh, that ever lived. Do you, you know you something interesting? It? Stephen Covey talked about that too. In the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm-hmm. He talked about um, sharpening the saw, getting up, doing morning exercise, reading what you put in your mind, things like that. Yeah. Do Do you find that, because you said you read during that time. I mm-hmm. probably get seasick if I try to read while doing cardio. <laughs> but like, do you find that that just kind of sets the tone for the day? Does it unlock something for you? Or is it just because you said you just like the habit of, of doing that? That just kind of is just how you like to start the day. So uh, I'm a transparent person. So I'm writing a book and it's about my brittle bone disease and a lot of like what I went through. I have still suffer from poor sleep. And there was a time in my life where I didn't really sleep. I was having bad nightmares pretty much every night. Just And what it is, there's this book called The Body Keeps Score. And so what what basically it it happens to me is I have this dream where I'm getting my leg broken by the doctors and they had piled people on top of me. I couldn't escape. So I wake up and my legs like squealing in pain, albeit nothing's broken. My body hurts. I've like grinded my teeth in the dust. I've got blood in my mouth for somewhere. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like very sick to my stomach. I usually go throw up and it's like, I can't control it. This has been going on for years. So what happened was, (laughs) is I would either sleep so bad. I would wake so up, so pissed off. I would greet my day and everybody in it with fire. And I was just kind of like, I can't really build a business. You know, if I'm pissed off the moment I walk in the door and don't want to talk to anybody, or number two, people that I love are going to catch the brash side of me first thing in the morning. So it kind of evolved from what happened was when I'd have a bad dream, I just got up and I was like, well, huh, I have to be at the gym anyway in two hours. I'd go to an hour of cardio and take a book with me. The book came in after I think about a week, honestly, Cam. I was just so like bored to death when I was doing the cardio. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got to do something. I couldn't watch TV because it made me seasick, but I could sit on the recumbent bike and hold a book out in front of me. And just read it. And, you know, it begins with 30 minutes. It takes you 10, pa- 10 pages a minute because you're just like looking at it, you know, trying to tra- track right. with your eyes and everything else. But it's like anything else. If you just keep working at it, people quit too easy. That's why it's not hard to survive in business or uh, have a successful business if you know how to survive. People just quit too easy. They're like, I can't do it. I'm like, well, that's funny. I mean, I read like over 100 books a year this way and I've done it for over a decade, but okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You just kind of learn to accept it, but um, that's how it evolved. It didn't evolve. Like I didn't read a, is it Hermosi? Is that his, who's like real big on the TikToks now that you're seeing on IG and all that? Yeah. All he's big on TikToks people. and reels. Yeah. You know, I read all the self-help books and they still lie to you. Um, it doesn't matter if you wake up at three thirty, four thirty, five thirty. 30, tell yourself all the pretty affirmations or not. You still have to show up every day and get your teeth kicked in and do the work. And mine evolved just from kind of like, I didn't like the way I was personally going with my life. And I've just kind of kept it that way. So by the time I see anyone, I've had time to orientate to the world. My body's had time to let go of everything and I'm able to make peace with it and move on. That's where I've always appreciated among the other crazy things he says, Gary V, where it's just like, you have the same 24 hours versus you got to get up at 6 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 2 p.m. You have the same 24 hours. Do mm-hmm. what you want with it, whether that's work several jobs or 
make content. Like you have the same 24 hours, just go to bed when you need to wake up when you need to get the things done. A hundred percent. I think everybody's in a race to just say like, I do more than you. And I was caught up in that and it just leads to just not being fulfilled. I can just, I can be honest on that one. How do you view patience then when it comes to that? I'm aggressively patient. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I understand that things, the things take time, but I'm also like steadfast and be like, come, come on. You know what I mean? Just like marching towards it. I think when I was at that rider workshop, I was there with a bunch of people like case point, the guy left to my left was like a sex crimes author or a detective. And he was writing a book about like these crazy kinky sex crimes. Oh, wow. That, oh, dude, the stuff he was telling me. And then I had this other guy writing a book about the integrator visionary role and like founder CEO stuff. And then I had another guy from Sweden writing about HR and I had a woman writing about uh, the art industry and how fraudulent it was. Right. But what was interesting is they didn't have a concept of patient of time where like, I think bodybuilding gave me time. Like I knew over 16 weeks, great things would happen as long as I just did the work a and B, A and B, A and B. So I think I've always had a, a healthy amount of patience. I just think that I look at things like, why can't that speed up? I mean, dude, I'm already 10 years down the road. Like if you talk to me, I'm already living at 52. I'm already got everything I want. I've already watched everyone I, I love be successful. I've watched my kids. Hopefully maybe one's got me a grandkid. So I've already, I'm already down there. So I think patience is it's hard for people, but it's a necessary thing. I've always had a healthy uh, relationship with it. You know, I remember being a body cast. You, I didn't get out of one for like 16 weeks, dude. <laughs> so oh like, so like when you're in one that goes from like your chest all the way down, both your legs, you're just kind of like, okay, like, you know what I mean? Like, wow. What's shit to do? So you just kind of just do what you can do. Yeah. Was, was that from uh, an accident that happened or because of having complications with brittle bone or something else? So, yeah. So I was born with osteogenesis perfecta and I was going down a hill on a skateboard <laughs> I actually go this week uh, up to Knoxville for the UT Florida game. And the person I go with is going to take my picture at the two hills I wrecked on. And I'm curious to see like what the distance really looks like. Like from where I was at the top of the hill, like, like I look at that right. and go, God, I was crazy as shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or am I like, God, I was a bitch for falling off that. You know what I mean? Like, but I was double dog there and I'm not a person to not accept the challenge. So yeah, you can't back down from that. Yeah, dude. I ended up going down it. I think I got scared and jumped off. That's what I wrote about. Like, I think the truth is I got scared and I jumped. And ever since that, I've not been, I, I don't, I don't have any fear. Like, like I, I in business and like, well, I don't know till I try the worst case that happens, it burns to the ground. I show up tomorrow and build it again. I just live very much honestly in the moment. I think that changed it for me. You know what I mean? Like, cause like, as I, as I went through the subsequent multiple surgeries afterwards that, that really screwed up and everything that happened to me and like learning how to have to walk again. And I remember my first step dude, after the surgery, I took my very first step and the leg broke again. And oh I had to go back God. into another surgery, back through physical therapy. It was just like, so I like at a young age, I kind of got like, God, there's a lot of suffering in life. You know what I mean? Like, like there's just a lot that goes on and I can only control me and it's not good to be in fear. Like I just, at that point, because everything I went through, I just, I don't know. It's an interesting perspective. I'm, I'm curious to see what the pictures show. I'll be sure to post them on social. 
what at what age did you start then getting into bodybuilding? Because you, it sounds like it's got like this this hold on you that you said has taught you patience and you understand how to plan things out and like what results can be and to try. What what role did that play like growing up? Was that something that you just went in after you know having surgery, or did that just evolve over time? So um, what it was, they during physical therapy, I was used to a gym, and they had got me where. Um, they would have me work out my upper body because the reality was they thought I'd be in a wheelchair, crutches, canes, walker, needing to get use assisted devices to get in and out of bed. They really thought that that was going to be what would happen because I was so fragile. I mean, after I took a damn step, my leg breaks. They're like, this guy doesn't really have much hope or more much of the future, you know? And I was like sucking that in at 10, 11 years old. So, you know, they were teaching me stuff. And then when I finally got where I could walk, they had written me this workout routine and I went to the gym a lot. I didn't see any bodybuilders, but during my freshman year of high school, I got into the gym and I remember being like almost as strong as some of those like football player kids, like already having coordination and things like that because I've been working out a while. And then I got bullied. And one day this guy called me crippled for the last time. I ran up there while he was doing a math problem and just started punching him in the face. And I got um, suspended. My mom came, picked me up. She she was, wasn't mad at me or anything, but she had to go to Kroger's. And I remember walking down Kroger's. And I saw Flex Magazine. And I'm like, holy shit. If I could look like that, nobody will screw with me. Nobody will think I'm crippled. And I already work out. Nobody's going to know if I sneak these exercises in and da, 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 da. And I started talking about it to my mom. She's like, oh, yeah, sure, Jeffrey, whatever you want to do, you know, like, need me to help you cook chicken great you know you're just gonna eat all day so i'm like go back to school after my suspension with tuna sandwiches <laughs> for my breaks that my mom and baby and like all that and it just kind of just bit me and it was just more a uh, life was a series of very fortunate events for me not unfortunate fortunate the skateboard i was fortunate to do because it led me down the path to understand bodybuilding and subsequently how many lives I've impacted because of going down through working out by getting to be a coach and things like that. I wouldn't trade anything I've done for the world. And that's what this book has confirmed for me. What was the transition then? Because a lot of people just work out, right? Like you got yourself results and uh, you could have looked good and just done other things. What what made you want to do that for other people? You know, you just mentioned impact. What was the, the talk with yourself to actually go on and coach others? <laughs> Uh, you ask good questions. So in, I was working for the department of Homeland security in 2005, I just moved to Nashville. I spent the first two and a half years traveling, working to meet congressional deadlines, um, throughout the U S as part of, uh, America's response to the terrorist attacks of nine 11. Should and, I be worried that somebody's listening to this conversation? <laughs> yeah, no, you don't need to worry about that. I was lowly. I lasted five years, but what happened was in 2005 moved here and, or it was late 2004, me and uh, my son's mom, my oldest son's mom moved here. And I'd been working for months and I just didn't really like the environment. It was very much accessible. Like if you, to anyone who's listening, if you work like in a government place and all that, I feel sorry. Cause like, I remember how toxic it was. Cause what happens, Cam, is people think you're always out for like their job or the job above them. And like, like you just can't go to work and do honest work. You know what I mean? You got to worry about like, if you accidentally slip up and say, fuck, is that going to be interpreted as sexual harassment? Before you know it, you're on a oh, plane wow. to DC going, it was just like, it was very interesting. It taught me a lot of what not to do for leadership. Um, but anyway, there was this guy on my team and, and we called him Chia Pet. And one day he came in and goes, I'm going to go to the gym with you tomorrow. And I said, what the fuck ever, dude? And I was training for Mr. Knoxville. I finally decided 
after 11 years that I was ready to do a bodybuilding show. Like it makes me giggle when people like come to my gym and they've never worked out and they're like, in three months, I want to do a bodybuilding show. And I'm like, well, do you think that Tom Brady went out there and said, hey, three months ago, you were quarterback those Patriots? Like, fuck, no. You know what I mean? And and <laughs> I finally got, you know, I was like, okay, I'm confident I could do this. You know, I, I finally put enough muscle. I'll wait till they see me type attitude, you know? And um, he came to the gym, came to work the next day with the gym bag, followed me to the gym, signed up. And over the course of my prep, he had lost as I was getting ready for, cause I started a year early. So <laughs> I was like, I better start now. You know what I mean? Kind of like just preparing, kind of getting ready yeah. for it. And he had dropped like 40 pounds in six weeks. He had this amazing before and after. Oh, wow. And the guy, Clint, who I credit him with, get me in the industry, Clint Mullen. He um, saw me and he's like, dude, I need you as a trainer. He'd be good. So he started sending like his minions out to like, recruit me and i remember up until this point cam i probably thought i thought personal trainers i thought very lowly of them i was like all they do is get on top of women and stretch them out awkwardly and hold a clipboard and just push treadmill buttons wasted fucking time you know what i mean but i could see that like these trainers were slightly different like they were just doing things different like he was really trying to do culture they seemed really bought in they all said the same thing and then they're like we're paying like 15 dollars an hour and i'm like that's not bad. That's just a few bucks less than what I'm making as a supervisor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I'm just like as lead supervisor. So I'm just like, all right. So I went on interview and I did it and I got this first woman, man. And she came to me and she brought this thing of lingerie and she's like, I want to be able to wear this in three months for my 10 year anniversary. And I was like, cool. And like, I wrote her a little diet and, you know, I put her through workouts and she came in one day and like picked me up. She's like, oh my God, I was able to fit into it even more so that, uh, it just made me feel really good. And I just was doing it part-time. And one day I walked into work in 2007 after five years and said, fuck this, I'm out. And gave my 30-day notice. And I trusted that I could build. I was on a wait list to train with me at night. And I trusted that I could do build up a list through the morning. So for I decided to take a leap of faith and did it, man. With total no regrets. So you were working your normal full-time job and then also- and doing on, part-time. Yeah, doing part-time. Which- yeah. For anyone who's ever done that, you know, it's never actually part-time, right? Like it's right. No. <laughs> you may be on the clock for part-time work, but you're still doing full-time work. So were you doing nutrition and fitness, like with your, your personal training? Was it all encompassing like that then? Yeah. And I was handwriting stuff, you know, cause like, this was like 2005, six. So computers were still pretty pricey. Not everybody had, um, not everybody was into just looking, you know, you didn't, you had Blackberries. You weren't looking at stuff. You know, I don't yeah. think Blackberries were that. I think it was Razor was off phone or yeah, it might've been whatever the Razor too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you weren't like reading your workouts on the phone or stuff like that. So a lot of it was just handwritten with like templates the company provided. I would just handwrite their diet on the back of it because we weren't allowed to, but I knew like if they didn't eat right, they wouldn't get results. So I just did it anyway. And just be like, Hey, have like, a cereal of your choice, make sure you're aiming for this amount of protein. And I would just do the basics like that, but you're right. You take stuff home with you. And I remember that's probably how I really like started enjoying my craft when I got more into the computer and people got more into the computer and I could like send various forms and emails and stuff like that. It just got to evolve and become cool, but it started part-time. It wasn't something that I wasn't one of the lucky ones that posted a picture of their body and got 4,000 immediate signups. That wasn't me. You weren't an overnight success. You mean? I was not an overnight influencing success. Blasphemy. Ah, terrible life I've lived. <laughs> it's always my favorite thing when someone's like, oh, you're an overnight success. It's like, no, 
No. Yeah. Yes. No shit. Yeah, uh, 2007. I don't even think Google Calendar was out yet, man. Unless it was like a beta version. So, so we're that's talking. what I'm saying. It yeah. was like a different world back then. Like it wasn't like it is now, where I could just send an email like, "Here's a link." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it wasn't like that. Like you had handwrite the workouts out, and everyone got completely customized. But now you kind of know, like, start with the basics, and then as people evolve, you evolve to them. You know what I mean? So it's just changed a lot. I remember like going to the Y back in the early 2000s and you just had the Nautilus machine circuit. And if you want to do mm-hmm. weights, that was a different room, but you just, you got your little clipboard and your piece of paper and you wrote down everything that was going on. Hey man, if it gets people active, I'm all for it. Like I don't trash on Planet Fitness. I mean, I think it's screwed up that they don't allow people like me to work out there, but I think it's great for everybody else. Cause I'm just one of those people, like it makes me happy yep. when I see people active and no offense, but like, if you walk through the mall, and I've done this before. So like in 75 hard phase three, you have to go talk to strangers. So by talking to strangers, all I did cam, cause I wanted to know the sociology experiment, which I haven't even really talked about on social media. Cause I just don't like bragging about like, Oh, look at me. Yeah. I'm doing this, you know, cause I did 75 hard and post my picture every day. And then like, people were like being funny like, well, where's your half naked picture. And then like, if I didn't post like, Oh, you failed. I'm like, nah, I just didn't want to post on social media. But anyway, yeah. I went up to random people and I was like, what do you think a personal trainer or, or, a, or a nutrition trainer is? So you either got like, it was one or two answers. I did this through Opry Mills Mall here in Nashville, big mall, public place like that. Most people either associated like trainers, like in a sports sense. Most of them associated it as like nutritionists and trainers as like people who do the uh, advocate, it works raps and things like that. And then you had other ones who looked at it like, the clipboard trainer. And there was like nothing like what I do. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they, they had no grasp of like anything other than that. They could be an evolved program customized to you. Like, yeah, you actually get customized like nutrition, like all the, like, what? I thought I just eat, you know, potatoes and like, you know, whatever. And I'm just yeah. like, no, but it just, I don't know. It was just neat to see. And, um, you know, that's like an idea of like, when I tell people what they're fighting when they're trying to get clients, I'm like, you're, you're kind of fighting that people already have a preconceived notion of trainers. And some people have had multiple instances where they don't like those encounters and you're overcoming a lot. Um, so I'm all for people and facilities that help people get out and be active. I mean, dude, it sounds like you stumbled upon content right there. You could just film that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, excuse me, sir. Uh, what do you think my, my job is as a yeah. trainer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shash do that randomly. Hey, don't be on my my buddies are like you get paid a lot of money to look at half naked people all day. Tough job. And I'm like, yeah, guys, it's very stressful. I'm like, I'll tell you what. <laughs> so how how do you go from part-time to now owning a, a gym, right? Black iron is your gym and it's Iron, Iron House in Nashville. Oh, Black Iron. Oh my god. Black yeah, you Iron. got my last you got my last name in there. I mean, it is a cool last name. I'm not even gonna lie. I'm Dude, gonna lie. I'm so sorry. It's been a long day. Iron House, uh, which which is um, just outside of Nashville, or is it technically in Nashville? I'm terrible it's, at geography. It's in Nashville. It's just okay. the suburb of Nashville, Hermitage. It's about 10 minutes from the airport. So, Is it, is it official that you're opening? Uh, number two? Yeah. yeah. Jason okay, I didn't Cole know if I could say that or not. <laughs> yeah, I'll be doing okay. one the next year, year and a half, too. It just depends upon like markets and stuff like that. It's just... It's not a buyer's market right now. And I think until sure. things adjust, um, which I don't know. I mean, I they just announced today. This is like breaking news that the COVID pandemic is over. Biden just announced. I'm like, wow, finally we can move on maybe. Oh and I could get my arsenal equipment in 10 months. 
Um, but, <laughs> but how that, how that evolved to me getting a gym was very much kind of like a weird story in the sense, like, um, I was the district personal trainer or head trainer, quality control specialist for urban active, which was later consumed by LA fitness. And I had one trainer of the year for the company in 2008 out of like 30 gyms. It was me. And I went, ran for quality control specialist. I had the best numbers and everything, but they gave it to this other guy. Parizano really chipped my ass, but um, because I'm competitive as shit. <laughs> so I was supposed to be given a dollar rate, hour raise, and something else, a bonus. And they had told me before this event, before I lost, that they, they didn't have any extra money. And then the guy brags at our awards dinner, the owner, about buying his night, about PT making over 19 million. And then someone makes a comment about it. Yeah, he goes, yeah, you go get yourself a 30-foot yacht because that means I got a fucking 300-foot baby. And I was just like, I knew then. I was like, I'm in the wrong room. And I remember looking at my wife at the time, and she kind of was just like, so I began evolving in 2010. I went out on my own, kind of went to this other gym up the street. That was bad. Then I went into a place that is now my gym. Um, a guy who owned it, he just kind of liked to not work and spend his time at the Chili's Bar more, more than anything else. And I built like a really good following of in-person people, like always referrals. Um, you know, I got, I do about like train 50 people in person still to this day. And then in 2015, the guy who owned the place wanted out and Derek and I had no other options. We looked at each other and said, okay, I guess we go in 50, 50. And we each came into the table with $12,500, paid the guy off, had a bunch of shitty equipment. 42 members and personal training books. And we basically just started kicking ass and taking names. That's literally how it happened. I had no, I was saw the back of my head. It'd be cool to own a gym, but it's not like I was like had on my vision board. Oh my God, I would love to own a gym and it's going to look like this. The gym was created out of necessity because I had to have income and I like training people. So it's just a byproduct. I actually really don't make off my money off my gym. I choose to pay my staff and all them really well and allow my uh, training money. To make my money so the gym just kind of just helps make sure i always have clients and nice things and my life and that's about it I'd rather share the rest that's fascinating because you know you also are, and i know you so i know a little bit about like you know books and stuff you like to read and and kind of mindset stuff you know from from ray dalio to stoicism and things like that but did owning a gym and stuff like push you down those rabbit holes or was that something you were already doing on your own right have you always just naturally you know been an avid reader and interested in, you know, principles by, you know, Ray Dalio or stoicism and things like that, or did like taking on a gym and a business start, start you down other rabbit holes? Um, Clint had turned me on to leadership books by John Maxwell in 2008. He gave me developing leader within you. So that started changing my mind. So there, therefore I wouldn't overpass the health, the self-help section of bookstore bookstore our bookstores which i often view to be like for the cuckoos and the quacks you know and, and the people who needed help i didn't need help you know what i mean so <laughs> i was real big into um like history psychology i've always been in all that i've always found it interesting i like reading because it's a private intimate conversation with you and the author like you're just reading this one person's kind of like look at things you know like i i've enjoyed reading nietzsche um, Nietzsche's all the way through Jordan Peterson to the 48 laws of power by Robert Green down to the immortality key, which is maybe Jesus and his followers were drinking psychedelic beer, you know, um, just so crazy stuff like that. Life. 
<laughs> it is that that was mind blowing when you read it. It will actually rock Christianity to the core when that comes out. But I hope I live long enough to see that one happen. That'd be interesting just to see a bunch of people lose their mind on that. But nonetheless, well, it's like an open thing. Like, you know, I, I think that's what's interesting about life and just reading Joe. You get exposed to so many things. Like my mind, I'm not the same person I was last year. I think completely different. And I can look back because I journal every day. And even finally write a paragraph so that I can look back and just see like the complexity of my mind has evolved so much by what I've read. And I think keeping myself open, all that's good. I mean, it's great to read business books. It's great to read about all that stuff, but you know, like just reading stoicism, reading about like dark psychology helps you a lot in business because business is hard. What are some, some things recently that, that you've been, I know you're obviously writing your book and things like that, but what are um, some things that you've really dove deep into whether it's you know topics or, or books that you've really enjoyed you know when it comes to like coaching i do think a lot of the functional medicine books are really good so like what i mean that is like beyond the pill um the adrenal thyroid axis there's a couple cortisol connection you know i think that those are fascinating i recommend them to a lot of my clients to read um but probably you know, this year, if I had to say anything, I would say probably the most impactful book I had read was probably The Immortality Key. Just you because know. of the thought <laughs> process through maybe what made people long ago come to their conclusions about what is supernatural or what may be? I think it was because the guy was a Jesuit brother, if I'm not mistaken, who wrote it never tried LSD or any of those drugs, went off the John, St. John Hopkins research, which basically showed the quality of life index and people coming to grips with death because they actually had more faith in what there's like something there, like, like creation itself was very interesting. And then the fact that he got the Catholic church, which, you know, kind of controls all that history to open up and go through it. And that it's just kind of like, okay, maybe they did smuggle out the mysteries from Delphi. You know what I mean? Maybe that is some truth. And I think it was just interesting because I did psychedelics for depression. I'm writing about this today. It was something that was deep on my mind because I had a lot of guilt and a lot of like shame for doing psychedelics because I felt bad because like modern medicine didn't work for me. And I remember I've done some of my trips before and I'm like, God, these things are so spiritual. If you're just walking around the hillside and I ate this in like one AD, like, holy shit, I would definitely thought I was talking to God because you got to think like the evolution of the mind and stuff like that. So it was just neat to see like my thoughts change because I was raised Roman Catholic. I've always been a spiritual person. I've always been a person of faith. I just don't preach and, and talk about it too openly. I just know something's there and just to kind of like get some more clarity that maybe that there's pathways to it through our earth is just neat. I always find it uh, super interesting when I try to have a conversation with somebody around that topic and they're like, what do you believe in? I'm like, I can't really describe it, but I know it's there. And, yeah. And if, especially if it's not someone to open hat, someone that's open to having the psychedelic conversation, you just don't even know how to phrase it. Like, you know, I just want to be like, well, I took a big dose of edibles and I definitely understood a lot of stuff that I didn't before. You know, you like, you can't say that. So it's like, how do I explain this to someone that they're not just going to think I'm some like druggy because I just wanted to have an experience, right? Like I wasn't just trying to go off and party. I was actually like trying to be deep and, and thoughtful and really, um, you know, find my, my position in the universe. And you just feel like you're a part of something. You feel the world come in together. You feel like 
one time, like I could see the earth breathing sounds freaking weird, but like I could, I saw it in everything. And then you just know you're part of something. You know that there's something else out there. Yeah, you do. I just, I mean, I've been writing a little bit about Aaron Rodgers has been big because he talked about his ayahuasca journey and how it's going to help his pro football career and da, 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 da. And I'm concerned because everybody feels like the talk around is like, once you take it, oh, just even once, like it's just magical. And I'm like, it's not like that. And I've done, I've smoked peyote. I've smoked DMT. Like I've done them all. So like I've gone to the extremes. I've taken over a hundred hits of different substances. I'm what they would call a psychonaut. I'm very experienced in this stuff because I got fascinated with it. Like I did bodybuilding and the drug culture of bodybuilding. So it opened my mind to be reasonable to play around with this stuff. And it's not a cure-all. It's something that really helps if you're willing to open up the door to let it help you, but it's not a cure-all. And I'm very interested to see how we integrate this in our society because like before, you know, Cam, I want, I, I tried to kill myself when I was in 2012. And for me, it was just like, I came out of it. I was like, well, you're bipolar. Here's all these medicines. None of them worked over the years. And the way that people just get prescribed stuff and just assume just to take it and will make them better is just alarming to me. And these are things that don't need to be played with like that. Um, because if you've done them before, you need, you understand the respect that they command. So how much of a role did psychedelics then play in helping you bring or helping you come out of that, that place then? If you're saying that, you know, that you kind of use them and you've used different ones over a hundred times, like, you know, <laughs> I'll say this. I think in fairness, what it did was it was taking the gun that I was ready to put back into my mouth and put it down and put it in a drawer and put it away and took the clip out. Like, I know it's still there, that propensity in me, but I know that like, that I now see and understand I'm at peace with a lot of things that I wasn't before that tethered me to pain, which kept me in a state of mental rut. And once I was able to disassociate that pain and understand what I was doing to myself and like why I crave that through some of those trips. Yeah, no, it really helped me in that regard where medicine couldn't, it, it did. It gave me my life back. It gave me what I was going to get back for my life back. I can't sit here and say that if you were to cuddle next to me on the couch cam that I'm going to feel that warmth for me and that connection just because of the life I went through as a child. But I can tell you, I can learn to appreciate that where before it made me uncomfortable. Is that key with presence? Is that being able to, because I mean, I, I know how smart you are. And so I know, I'm, I'm guessing you probably have a really high IQ. And so when people have high IQs, you know, it's sometimes hard to be very present. So for you to be able to feel that warmth, is is that all about presence or is that just in general something that you've been able to just cope with? So it stems, I went through counseling on this and can I write my story and talk to my older sister. So when I was born, I was born, my legs broken because I was born breached and the doctor used forceps to pull me out. Well, they didn't know in 1980, I was osteogenesis practice. There was no internet. They didn't, you know, I was, so, you know, when you change a baby, you pick a baby up by its legs. So my parents would change my diet. I would scream. And the only way I would stop was if I was put down and left alone. So my mom and I didn't really bond. And I remember and like now as an adult, I'm like, okay, this makes so much sense. Why my mom and I were close, but not like, like when other sons describe their relationships, their mom, I'm like, fuck, no, that was not me. You know what I mean? Like, like she was great to me. She sacrificed her whole life for me. I would never, ever take that away. But there wasn't like that perpetual love between us. And it was, therapist was like well yeah you weren't held during that time you weren't able to bond and then you know being in my cast it's not like my mom could get in my hospital bed with me and cuddle with me and i was 
went through surgeries that where I had to keep my leg broken for 12 whole weeks straight. It just stayed in perpetual fractured state while they slowly stretched the bone. So like I missed out on touching. I missed out on cuddling. I missed out on these things that most kids get. And so when my kid, my oldest one got older, he's a cuddler. And it was so weird to me for a long time. Like it made me, and I was like, this is so fucked up, Jeff. Like this kid loves you more than anything. And I'm like, how do I, how do I kind of like slide <laughs> off, you know, after like five minutes? And I just, right. I learned to get really comfortable with that. And they gave me that piece. Like they gave me like, that's okay that that part of me exists, but that doesn't mean I can't change my response to it. Even though I feel that I can still sit there and be okay with it and hold space for it. So it just changed a lot of how I was able to break things down and cope with things that were before very foreign and difficult for me to deal with. And I didn't know how to process them. So I don't know if it was so much being present it was more feeling for me that it kind of helped take away and that was numb and uncomfortable and made it more. Okay. That's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we've, we've mentioned several times uh, just alluding to, to the, the, the book that you're writing, has this been therapeutic for you in a way? Cause that's, that's something that's super, super fascinating on its own, right? That you're going to go back through your life, which a lot of people don't even want to go in and touch all those, those dark inner demons, which if you're going to write a book, you probably have to do. Has this been like therapeutic for you to go back and actually work through some of this stuff? Or has this just been something that, uh, say, uh, uncomfortable, uh, at the least. So the first time I tried writing the book was in 2019 and that put me back into counseling. Like there was an instance where like, I like lost touch with myself and was about to do self-harm again. I mean, it was pretty much right there because like I couldn't process like how fucked up some of it really was. And so like I had to go through counseling for a long time. So I don't know if this is so much therapeutic as I will say, it's more or less like me getting my freedom back. Like, you know, like I, I'll be honest, Cam, like, I don't know who Jeff is without the body, without the bodybuilding. Like I always knew when I saw the, the priest, I was like, I want to be like him. I want to compete like him. I want to get to the Olympia. Da, 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 da. I can never do that because of my legs. And I understand that, but it doesn't mean I don't have the heart of a lion to just give my best. And I'm like, I always said I wanted to go to 45. That'd be like 30 years devoted to one thing. But the part of me is like scared. Who is Jeff without this identity? And I think this book was allowing me to write peace to this identity part of me. Like that first whole 41st. 40, 42 years of my life, it was able to give me closure and be able to say, okay, this part of my book is done. It's time to go find out who I really am and what I'm really going to do. Because, you know, I would have retired a few years ago just because of the pain I'm in and stuff like that. But I just get so many messages from families and their kids have OI and these kids have OI. And now these adults who follow me have, you know, OI and they're like, you're so motivational. You defied the odds. You got me to go to the gym when everybody told me I couldn't and look what I've done. It's nothing cooler than that, man. I at least get one or two messages like that a week. And it just, I feel like shit. And I'm just like, but it's not done yet. Like Kobe said, job, job not finished. So with, with that part of your life coming to possibly a close in the book, are you working then through finding out what is next? Or do you kind of already have, have that in mind, even if it's not fully explored? I don't even know where to go next. I legitimately only have my eyes wrapped up to September of 2026 because I know I will turn 46 years old, September 25th of that year. And that will be, I will be done before then. And then after that, I'm going to take some time and see some places I've wanted to see. 
you know, I've been slowly saving in a savings account to make sure I can have like a good couple of weeks away. So I could go really see some good stuff. And then I'm going to come back and see what I want to put that competitive chip on my shoulder in next. You know what I mean? So I don't really have an answer for that question. I'm not too far down the road like that with most people. I know what my life looks like, but I don't know like what that part of it looks like yeah. specifically. That's fascinating because you've talked about vision board and you know, 10 years from now, you're already kind of uh-huh. like living there yeah. with, with different things. So that that's fascinating. But that little piece is just kind of like a, a blind spot at the moment. Yeah, no, I think it's just the evolution of who you are as you just get older. You know what I mean? I think it's more like, I don't know. I hope I live that long because you can start getting up there like, well, you know, midlife crisis. Maybe we have a heart attack. <laughs> Maybe I need, you know, a 20-year-old girlfriend or a red Corvette or something else, right? Like, and I've just learned to just take it like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on making these last few years of something that was so, so important to the person that I become. Like, I get emotional when I think about it because bodybuilding gave me everything. I don't look at it the bad way most people do. Most people look at it like it took away from them. They see the drug use, they see the negativity, they see the narcissism. And to me, I'm like, it gave me a life that nobody said I'd ever have. Like at one point people were talking about like what my care team would look like. And now I take care of myself, (laughs) you know? And I told, you know, I wrote about that. Like it really shifted my perspective. It was very awkward to have to have your family come take your poop out of a bedpan because you had to, you know, shit in a hospital bed. You didn't want that. And like, I just have a different view of like quality of life and stuff like that. And the bodybuilding at the core, like the discipline it takes to build muscle gave me a life that I just am so grateful for. And I just can't say enough thank yous for that. I just, I'm giving it what it deserves and make sure these last few years are special. When people reach out though, you know, you're saying families and whether their kids or adults are reaching out, does, does that like make you fearful or does that like put you onto, you know, the spotlight? Cause you said, you know, you don't even really like to post or anything you like to write, but <laughs> not necessarily post or anything like that. Like yeah. you start to like see those messages and like, you know, do the, mm, I'll look at them later. No, I'm, I'm very good about responding to people who go out of their way to reach out to me. Cause I understand that that's them taking a, a leap of faith to start a conversation with the stranger. Um, so I'm always courteous about that because I hope someone would be courteous to me if I did the same thing. So that part just bug me. I'm kind of by nature, a private person. It's going to be a little difficult for me because once I put the book out, like my whole life's exposed, like you will know, like, you know what I would do to Memphis for a week to go talk to a shrink after I try to kill myself. Like I, the very first night he, I leave, he's like, you just distract yourself. Well, the way I do that night, I go to the Hooters across the street from the hotel and be a waitress and go back to my hotel room. You know what I mean? I'm like, damn it. Well, I failed the first day. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you know? So, I mean, like I write about this stuff and like, I'm like, is it embarrassing? No. Cause it's honest. And I feel like people, I feel like so many people go through their life. They're like, I've, I'm just so fucked up. I'm so wrong. And I'm like, but we all are. And like, just, I just wanted to just be able to just throw a true, honest read out there and be like, yeah, here's the steroid use. Here's the psychedelic use. Here's the unpleasantries I went through as a kid. Here's all this other shit enjoy you at least get an honest story from a human you're pulling the m&m from eight mile right and just uh <laughs> yes i don't know man I, I here in nashville a lot of people know me so like when i'm out people are very polite to me come up to me like hey man thanks for your gym or i know you from so and so i think that i don't have a problem with the public side of things i just don't like social media and I think it's because I've gotten to know a lot of people on social media and I'm just like, you're not really who you are outside of here. And it's just kind of given me a weird lens into it where I'm just like apprehensive to be on it more than anything. Cause I read stuff. I'm like, Oh, you know what I mean? Right. 
I think you and I can track on that one. A- absolutely. It, especially in, in, in this industry, right. In nutrition, yeah. fitness, like <laughs> there's tons of people on there that literally just make accounts to make fun of other accounts or call people out for Photoshopping in this industry. Right. Cause you added more veins or you're trying to tailor in your waist and, it's mm-hmm. it's just crazy because then you're trying to go to the end consumer, which is the people who just need help to, you know, Mrs. Smith or whoever it is that needs to lose 15, 20 pounds that really need your help. She thinks that, you know, you have the answer, but you've been Photoshopping all your shit for the last two years and talking about all this amazing things that you do. And in reality, you don't do any of it. Um, I will. Actually, you know, I'm going to leave that one button up. You actually text that one pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, we both have like different sides of it, right? Like uh, from from our backgrounds, because you do know, you know, a shit ton more coaches than I do. And you actually probably have been able to see like what they actually do. You've had, I'm sure, Zooms or conversations with them as well. And being a gym owner, you you kind of see all the different sides of that. I think the fitness industry is full of amazing, great people. I think the problem is, is people really need help. And where there are people really need help, there's a lot of money and that brings people who don't mean well, who don't really care about helping others to the industry to try to help those who help others. So I see a very interesting lens to it in that regard. Um, I wish more people just get into it and just be like, Hey man, like I know we all want to coach these crazy clients who have bug parasites and adrenal fatigue and all that shit. But you know, if you just walk through your Kroger, there's probably like 50 good people there at any moment who don't know walking 10,000 steps a day would just help them. Or if they just did like 12 minutes of eat, 12 hours a day of eating, or if they monitored their blood glucose numbers, they could understand what foods or duh. they don't know any of that shit. Like, and people spend so much time talking to all their friends and family on their social media. I'm like, scout, talk to people in public. Like, go be a bartender in the store you're at, you know, like when you're walking around doing your own shit. That's all I am at my gym and every other place. I'm just a bartender serving up a drink. And the drink is just fitness and, you know, just drink it. I agree with you. There's so many more people you can help if you focus through the wider lens of it. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And it goes back into, you know, we we call this one thing uh, run the block, which is basically establishing your own local network. Because first thing everyone does is they pop open a social media account and they're like, I'm going to get 100 clients. And it's like, well, you're probably not going to get any clients at the moment because you've worked with two people and you have zero case studies and nothing to post about. And you're just going to go imitate what you see somebody else do. And it's going to come off really badly. Instead, what you should do is, as you just said, go walk around, go make friends, go have coffee with a business owner, go work part time doing desk work at, at a gym or something. Get to know your actual local community, get to know the local environment and make friends make friends with business owners, understand the relationships that you're doing there to then be the word of mouth coach versus the one who's on social media, just showing off, you know, your latest deadlift or bun exercises. Yeah. Or if you just don't have any content posts, you could post all you every day. Just make it honest. All you every day, like be transparent. Like, Hey man, I went out, like say I fucked up and had a beer at lunch. You know what I mean? But I still had a great lift, you know, or whatever. Like, there's just no transparency in that. And then it, John Maxwell talks a lot about that. And I'll be honest with you. I almost think leadership that his five levels of leadership, I almost want to redo it for him and be like, nah, like majority of people don't even look at it like that anymore. Like there's like this qualification, like when people become a coach that they immediately think like, well, I'm above you because I look like this and live this way. And I'm like, but that's not how leadership really works. Like they're giving you it's positional. Like they, you got to get their permission 
to lead them. And a lot of coaches miss on that. They miss that connecting. And I agree with you. If you could just go out there and be in the community, like I tell coaches all the time, I'm like, join local leadership groups. Like I'm getting in a room with 200 people of which there's 10 city council. And I'm going to present about the effect that stress has on them. You couldn't, where are you going to get qualified leads like that anywhere else? You're going to get that shit off IG unless you're paying for it. And I'm just like, get out there in the communities. Those people need your help just as much as anywhere else. Sounds cool and sexy. It's cool to have a, stre- a client in Australia. I got one in there in that country too. You know what I mean? But like, you could really help a lot of people just right down the street from you, even in your own damn neighborhood. I did a nutritional seminar at my house, dude, packed in 12 people, closed five. Which is huge for most, yeah. for most coaches. That's, that's life changing, right? Yeah. And it if was you're just, charging anywhere from one to 500 a month, depending on what you do and what, what your services are like that, that could be life changing money. Right. And all that did was required me to post in my Facebook group for my community and my neighborhood. Hey, I'm the nutritional seminar. Y'all come with your questions. I pulled out my whiteboard, wrote the questions. I just answered it to them. And I just spend time with them, talk about their stuff. And then a couple of hit me up there, like, want to do it. I'm like, okay. I even asked them for a sale. I was just like, I've got spots up. Y'all are interested. Y'all contact me. That's just cool. I left it there. And I just like closed it out like that and got it all back. We even talking about content ideas, like all the questions that were asked there. If you don't know what to do or what to post, what to email about, you, I'm sure you just probably got 20 questions at least. Dude, you if you're a new coach, if you're a new coach, man, ask like, go to like a random place. Like, what do you want to know about health or fitness or losing weight or building muscle or foods you need to eat or foods you should avoid? People will tell you all sorts of shit. You could write content for like, you could get one year's of content, <laughs> By walking through like Target on a Saturday afternoon or, you know, um, like Homes Goods or places like that, like depending upon who your ideal consumer is or uh, your avatar at that point, I guess. So uh, I want to revisit the fact that you said that, you know, your gym doesn't make you personally much money. You'd rather right. reinvest that back into your your team because I feel like what a lot of people do, I don't say a lot of people, what some coaches do is right. They did this thing and they got themselves some results and then they bring on a couple other clients and they start seeing this initial success. And then they go into this. Now I'm going to go coach other people or in the case of you, I'm going to own a gym. And so now I'm going to just take as much money as I can from that. Right. And then just have everybody else make me money. But what you've said is the complete opposite. I'm actually just going to build this cool place for people to work out. And I'm actually just still making money off of my own clients. But is that just Passion? Is that pure? Like, I just enjoy doing this. I just love doing this. Or what What drives you to do that? Because that's not something many people would do. I love business. I realized I like being an entrepreneur. I like figuring out problems. I just have a knack for, I wanted a gym that I enjoyed working out in with a bunch of cool equipment that had a cool vibe. And that's how it kind of started. Like I told my team, I wanted the Chick-fil-A of fitness experience. Like I wanted people to walk in and that. So my front of house staff between Katie, who's the GM and Thera has been consistent for four years straight plus. You don't get that anywhere else. So everybody knows that women know the women. It's a women run business. I'm super proud of that two single moms run that company. And I just now come in and shake, ba- shake hands, kiss babies and train my clients. And I leave and they've done a hell of a job. I had nothing to do with me. I just kind of hedged my bets on what would I rather do? Would I rather be a gym owner or would I rather be a coach? And more people were impacted by my story and what I've overcome than they ever were about what I knew about the equipment and how it could possibly make their butt sexier or something like that. You know what I mean? Like in trying to sell a membership, I guess. 
So I just feel like it's the right thing to do to pay your staff really well and reward people for that. And by me having a gym, I have a steady flow of in-person people when I want to. I have a funnel of clients. I have coaches in there who we funnel them clients. We They pay us rent. I got people from my relentless team. We do rent cut base percentages. So, I mean, like, I just feel like this, Cam, people are always, I didn't like how everybody was always in my pocket when I was like leasing for gym space or working for other companies and like, oh, well, I'm taking 50% of your pay or da, da, da. It's like, fuck, I do all the work. Like, I felt like if I took less, they'd be more inclined to buy in with me knowing that I really meant that I wanted to take care of them, provide it. Cause I'll tell you when COVID came out, I told my team, I brought them all in the room. And I was like, just so you guys know, like the pirate flag hangs in this fucking gym for a reason. Like I will never, ever, ever ask y'all to do something. Cause that's when they were talking about like mandate mandating vaccines. I was like, I'll close this fucking place before it'll ever, it'll ever happen. I think that it's just like, does your team know that you have the best in for them? And when you don't take a bunch of money from them, when you're constantly trying to grow an environment for them, they got no choice, but to believe you have your best interest for them. And I would rather have them on my island than on another island is my view. And I think you're about to see this fitness industry go through major recruiting swaps. Like, I think you're going to see teams that are charging, taking 40, 50, 60%. Once they start realizing coaches like me take way less than that to be a part of my team, where I've already got built established funnels and everything else, and I give full autonomy to coaches, hard battles are going to be fought in the trenches here soon. It's going to be like the NCAA for recruiting, man. If you're a good coach and you're a good entrepreneur, people like me are going to want to work with you. And that's why I just did with Jason Coley. I moved him down. He did a class for y'all with iLead. I brought him down from Chicago. He's now director of training for Relentless Forever and Iron House. He'll do the entire Iron House too. And I gave him a hell of a lot of good incentives to be able to make that shit happen. Yeah, he did uh, an awesome training on fatigue and resistance training. It was it was so, mm-hmm. so, so good. He's brilliant. Um, uh, it's just when you when you see him, uh, I think Michael described him as a a gorilla with a, a crazy brain, right? <laughs> just because he yeah. comes in the room, he's just a giant dude and you don't expect. He's just so articulate and he just blows your mind just when he starts talking and you're just like, mm-hmm. wow, this man, this man knows some things. But you, you mentioned a couple of different things. Uh, one, about delegation to your team, right? And you've, you've said and reiterated several times about leadership. Is that is that why you felt so comfortable being able to do that? Because most people wouldn't be like, yeah, you just run that thing. I'm going to go do this thing over here. Is it is that because of, of your influence with leadership and understanding to delegate? I was really good at people following me and because I was producing, right? Like, And I had already produced coaches out underneath me over my years in the corporate world. People would come underneath me. I'd train them. And some of them are still actually doing it. It was more out of between Thera and I, where we brought on Katie, it was more Derek got sick. My business partner bought an iron house with me the day after Thanksgiving, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer in like eight different oh places. My gosh. Uh, so he, he made it till August following year. I agreed to buy out the widow's stock and all that. And I looked at Thera, I said, Thera, I'm really good coach. I know what kind of experience there is. Da, 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 da. I'm going to go out there and do my job. I need you to figure out how to run a gym. So Thera started at her at $8 an hour in 2017. She makes hear that she makes way 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 yeah Yeah. good amount and that's that makes me happy and i enjoy that man i enjoy sharing that shit with people you know what i mean and a lot of what i've learned has just been born in necessity i just walked my days and as shit came up i just evolved to it maybe because i've read the books i had a better understanding of how to handle it but sometimes i just i always air back on like well how would i want to be treated in this situation and 
I treat people that way. I lead people that way. I run my business that way. Does that mean I get hit in the mouth and the nuts occasionally by people? A hundred percent. But I always know my side of the street's clean. And I can look, I'm the one who has to look at myself in the mirror every day. Nobody else who makes my decisions. Yeah. And I think you're right when it comes to the the war in the trenches that's about to happen. I saw Jason Theobald the other day release like a mentorship for $300 a month, which is absurd considering like, you know, people that are not even close to qualified. I hate that thousand dollar. I fucking hate that word mentorship in our space though. It's not mentor. It's not, it's not mentoring. That's what I was telling Jason. I was like, change it. Just be, just pivot, make a change, do something else. Like call something else, you know, rebrand it, re whatever, because I have a mentor and every time I go out, my mentor, my mentor pays for me. Then and I met him for drinks. He covered all my drinks. Like he mm-hmm. picks up the phone. It's for free. I don't pay that man shit. He yeah. takes time out of his day. That's a real mentor. Like I do that for people. That's why I don't offer mentorship. Yep. I do consulting work if you need me to consult for you, but I do not do mentorship because mentorship means to me, like I've got to be invested in you as you're invested in me and not just so you build my business cam. Not just so it looks good on social media, so I get a Venus flytrap of shit that I can suck people in with, but like I genuinely want to be, be like, do I genuinely want to pick this phone up and text Cam to find out how the fuck Cam's doing? Is how I look at mentoring. And if I don't want to do that, then I don't want, want to mentor you. And I just feel like it's a money grab. Oh, you pay me for my time, I'll mentor you. But I'm like, but you don't really care. You only care about the results. You don't care about the person. And that to me def- defeats the word mentoring. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Yeah. There, there's not an actual apprentice mentoree type relationship anymore. Right. As you said, it's glorified. Yeah. It's basically consulting, but they call it a mentorship and you think you're getting one thing and expectations are set and it's typically not a hundred percent. And that's not just our industry, right? That's, that's a lot of industries People figured out that you could make that the, uh, the profit margins on educational courses was pretty high because all you had to do is record some modules and then sell them and then show up to a Zoom once a week and you could... Uh, <laughs> and you some- too could have a million dollars, you know? Like, I mean, like, I get it. And it's not me cast a shade on anyone who's running mentorships. Sure. I think it's great. I'm all about capitalism, monetizing. I have an issue with the word yeah. because to me, like, I know E really genuinely fucking like when he texts me like hey are you okay i know you're working through some stuff i know you're in a hard chapter in that book are you good are you good what's up i know that's the person genuinely genuinely means well for me like you know when i was sitting out to dinner and he was like or drinks he was like you need to write your next book has you know steven pressfield told you and i have a great idea and here's what you should do and i was like that's really not a bad idea like the guy genuinely thought well for me and gave me an idea that could make me money Add, no strings attached. Didn't say, hey, can you make a post about a testimonial and tag me in it? And be like, because of this, I because of this man here, E, I am now worth bazillion dollars and have a private jet, you know, or I have 1,000 coaching clients I don't know what to do with. None of that shit. No uh, phantom equity? There's, there's no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you 1,000 shares. It doesn't mean shit, you know, because they doesn't recognize shares like that. But sure, 1,000 shares have it. <laughs> oh my god yeah one of one of my favorite quotes is always from ted lasso and it's you know a, a good mentor knows you'll leave but a great mentor wants you to leave right and do your own thing yeah. and i think that's true to that word of, of mentory mentorship and apprentice and actually wanting to be an expert in said field right and that's the difference it's not just a money grab it's not just about that it's taking your passion your purpose what overlaps what you're good at putting the years 
of experience behind expertise and results. Like that's how you defeat imposter syndrome. Imposter yep. syndrome doesn't exist when you actually just go each day and try and do and just repeat. Oh, you know? dude. I mean, I, I write four or five times, five times a week. And every time before I sit down, I'm like, do I even know this? <laughs> and I'm like, and it's like, I even about my damn self. And I'm like, do I even know myself? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> It's just part of it. I tell everybody, like, you know, you're always going to have that voice in your head. How your day to day, whether you're in a state of anxiety, depression, happiness, whatever, is determined by how well you contain that voice. What what helps taming that voice for you? Is it just again doing as you're saying when it comes to writing, or is it you know just meditation, other things that you have actually used to to help tame it? I think what's just helped me with it is understand. I just usually tell myself like uh, it's what they told us at the writing workshop. I've just always held this belief. I will never be able to turn in a true perfect piece of work, no matter what I do, because it's always going to change and evolve. I can write today about vitamin C and a landmark study comes out in three years that disproves everything I just (laughs) said. And then I'm like, well, I have to eat shit. I think I just understand like that you can never do a piece of perfect piece of work. Maybe bodybuilding taught me that because when you go on stage, no matter what, they're going to tell you two, three, four things you have to work on. You know, we're back in the day when Michelangelo made the Sistine Chapel, it was just managed to be perfect on one way through. And I just haven't had that luxury yet. So I think looking at and every day as an imperfect day has just kind of just helped me kind of understand like, Jeff, this is just a moment in time. Just submit it, move tomorrow. You'll laugh about you had this moment and only to encounter it again at 11 (laughs) o'clock. Do you have anything like, obviously you write a lot, um, journal, meditate, like, do you use mantras or do you use affirmations or anything? Or do you just sit there with yourself? Nope. Nope. I don't do any of that. Even if I'm sitting in the shower crying, wondering if I can like still handle it. Like, you know, cause like every time you go up in business for every level, there's another devil. And, you know, you have those hard things yourself. You're like, oh shit, it's all on me. Like when it hits, like if the world burns, it's my credit, it's my kid's future. It's, <laughs> I'm so selfish. You know, and you're like in the shower crying. There's no mantra that gets you out of that. That's just like life, just the realization, what the fuck you got yourself into. You know what I mean? And I think for some people, they work. Some people just don't have good self-talk dialogue. And I always had good self-talk dialogue with what I could do. I just went through a time in my life where I wanted nothing to do with anyone. I was just exhausted. Like once I had to learn, once I learned to walk in, once I kind of got into bodybuilding and all that, like I was just tired. Like if it stressed me, I didn't want nothing to do with it. So I didn't think for a good 10 years of my life. And that reflected very well well in the choices that I made personally, you know, professionally, I've always been on point, but there's been nothing to save me from the dastardness of life or reprogram. But I do think for some people, if they can't sort out their self-talk, then probably affirmations work because there's some science to that about like, you know, the positive flow and all that. But I do believe in law of attraction. So maybe that's a different kind of affirmation. You know, I believe if you, if you vision it, you think about it, you wish good out there, you know, I might talk shit on a person like, oh, fuck, I want to kill that thing or whatever in business, da, da, da. But I don't want their business to go out. That's just the competitor in me. You know what I mean? Different thing. And so you, you mentioned earlier about, you don't know about this next phase in your life, mm-hmm. um, but yet the amount of things I see you crank out again, going back to how we started this off is insane. <laughs> you have the excellence cartel, right? You have yep. uh, chasing clarity, I believe, right? With the correct Ch- chasing clarity, health and fitness podcast with Brandon Dickers. Yeah. And then you have the excellence cartel, which obviously side note, how you guys run a podcast with three co-hosts 
and and do it and bring on a guest blows my mind all the time because I'm like sometimes when there's two people it just is messy and you guys have three co-hosts <laughs> and go at it it's just it's amazing uh, when I listen to you guys but when you say you don't know who you are without bodybuilding is that including all the work that you're putting in with podcasting and the information you put out because I see you talk about copper a lot I think you talked about was it iron I think recently yeah I got into copper and I was doing like high dose that and people thought I killed myself with it I'm like you always think it's like 20,000 milligrams it's an actual way to kill yourself in India people actually like go consume massive amounts but it only works like 20% of the time so you'd have to like really do it but the point it's there's a lot of of rebels so now I'm always going to be into it what I mean by the that competitive streak like that that working towards like the improvement to know I need to compete. That part of me, I don't know where I'm going to put that energy. Like my life will pretty much, I'll still enjoy the podcast because I enjoy educating people. I enjoy helping them. I just enjoy expressing different modalities, man. Like I'm not caught into the, the I've got to be on Instagram or Facebook and have a Facebook group shit to make money. I'm not caught up on that. I, I'm one of those people like, I want to go out there and just see what connects with people in all sorts of ways and just see what shakes off. How do you, and, and this may be a question again. I know you say you don't run the day to day, but how do you frame then or view community within within your gym? Is it just back to building it as epic as you could for yourself, which you think will bring other people around uh, uh, to enjoy that as well? So our gym is known as the Cheers of Health of like Nashville, Tennessee for fitness. Everybody knows everybody. It's super cool. We kind of joke about that. But I, at this point, have passed that energy and pass that torch on to all the other trainers in there, like Jason Coley and them. I just go in now. People are like, that's Jeff. Dude, there are a lot of people like Jimmy really know I'm the fucking owner and I love it. They just think I'm some dipshit trainer and just comes in and trains like four or five people and gets on equipment in their way. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just working here real quick. You know, meanwhile, they're like, oh, I hate that guy. And they already know it's like me. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I, I've just never been one. It's never about one person. And I think I got that from the book. So if you read a lot of the books on business, especially Silicon Valley, which I'm very much Silicon Valley pro, pro Silicon Valley for running a business, disrupt or die. Get out there, fuck up, be messy. It's always a beta version, but if you don't run and keep moving, you will eventually get chewed up by someone else. And I think by just kind of like knowing that like I had to adapt to that and then watching where companies when these these owners would hold on the CEOs to dear life to these dumb fucking ideas that just they couldn't see the evolution and they were so close-minded. It just, it really stuck with me. Like how many people like I'm responsible for. And I was just like, I owe it to them to at least listen. And I've just always done that. And I'm a very much a collaborative leader. So collaboration, collaboration is probably key when it comes to not only your team, but maybe even the local community. A hundred percent. I enjoy doing that. I like the people enjoy the gym and you know i've had people come up and be like man without this place i'd probably be at the bar still thanks you know or like i was spending my time at hotels i shouldn't be you know or just weird stuff or some kid who's like hey man this is my favorite place to come after school you know when my day sucks at school i like coming here or just whatever i don't know it's just it's neat i always it's just it's a community that understands each other and is just willing to just kind of be like, whether it's a bodybuilder or Mrs. Jones or, or a woman who's a teacher who power lifts and holds the state records, Tennessee, there's a little bit of everybody in my gym. And I like that. I love that. What, uh, so before we wrap up, uh, I always like asking this question uh, sure. and it's, uh, it's a playoff of Tim Ferriss's like billboard. Right. But if you had a bumper sticker, what would your bumper sticker say? Oh, <sighs> 
Live life free. Is that free of everything? Free of expectations? Yeah, just free. I can look back and I think that's my, I've lived it fearless, but I have not lived it free. And me writing the book has really helped me understand that I didn't live it freely. And I lost a lot of things along the way by choosing not to live it freely. That's powerful. So everyone take, take five minutes there and just pause on that. <laughs> Cause that, 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 that's powerful. Um, I know you got to go. Um, so one, tell everybody where they can follow along. Uh, what's best to either communicate with you, reach out or, you know, get involved. So really the one that I'm on the most is Instagram. Um, I'm Jeff unbreakable black on there. I have a channel on medium, uh, if you're interested in hooking up with me for coaching or just even want to chat and pick my brain about business, I don't charge that stuff. Feel free to ask. If you annoy me, I'll tell me, tell you annoy me. But um, relentlessforever.com, my gym is Iron House Strength and Conditioning in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, the when does your, your book come out? So I have kept this kind of quiet, but I am. I set a goal for myself that I'd get it done by the end of the year. And I am on pace to do that at the very least. So um, I've got to go through a vomit draft. So this is weird. I, I, I have to read it once to my, to me. And then like, I read it to someone else and they want me to like pay some guy. And they were telling this funny story. This guy hired someone off Angie's list to come to his house so he could read a book. And the guy goes, okay, man, I'm all for it. He goes, but do I have to wear my clothes? And the guy's like, of course I want you to wear your clothes. I just want to read this book to you. <laughs> so he paid like some like... <laughs> Some like spray wash guy, like 20 an hour to sit there and read his oh book and God. his clothes. But I could see where that would probably happen. And then I submit the vomit draft after that point. And then you're looking at three to six months. So hopefully sometime summer next year. I didn't realize how long it was, Cam. Like when I went down there for that scribe thing, I was like, holy shit, this is really in depth. But big shout out to scribe. If you're a coach looking to do it. It's a chunk of money, man, but they give you the rights to your book. They set you up with an Amazon account. They hook you up. They go through the editing. They help you pick your book cover, the, the pages, the font. They edit the shit out of it. Like I, I'm one of those people like write your masterpiece and then give it to someone who can make it powerful is how I looked at it. So, and that comes from the advice of Stephen Pressfield. When we discussed this idea, he was like, I think this is best for you. Stephen's a well-known author, and I just like I have been very pleased with the product that Scribe has put out with Tucker Max and those people. Yeah, so guys, uh, definitely whenever that is available, we'll link that in the show notes uh, when that comes available for you guys to actually pick up a copy of that. And if not, Excellence Cartel, Chasing Clarity Podcasts, two great places you definitely want to follow along with Jeff and and the crew because they're just putting out some epic, epic content for you guys to take on as as coaches and and do connect. I can tell you he doesn't have a chat bot. It is him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I actually enjoy the messages. I only get weird ones occasionally from like dudes who were like, why did you post a picture of you in your shirt? And I'm like, all right, man. Like next time I'll do a shirtless one and tag you in it. I don't yeah. know. Like, How much like, you bench, bro? Uh, no, I don't get any of that. Dude. I, I have like, if I did it only fans, yeah. uh, it would be amazing, Cam. Cause I would just do it with like me. And like a book over my dick and and like nature and oh I would my like God. and I would sell the photos with me. It would be classy photos, Cam. Very classy, very stunning artwork. But I would do a book review so that way at least I felt like I was educating you through my nude content. 
That is for sure going to be the headline of this uh, Jeff Black secret. What Jeff's OnlyFans would look like. It would be called Book Daddy because that's my nickname. So you'd be coming there and get some Book Daddy OnlyFans pictures. Yeah. Oh you might be on to something. Uh, I, just, I just was reading how Book Talk is like one of the biggest things publishers are going to now to, yeah. uh, you know, get. So you might be on to something, man. You, you might just have a whole other side, side revenue stream ready to go. 100%. Dude. People just well, pay you to, to cover uh, yourself with their book. Hey, that'd be great, man. I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll put your book over my dick out in the bathtub in nature. But I was going to bring a bathtub with me everywhere in nature. Just make it hilarious. So it would just be like me in this bathtub in a book. <laughs> I can't just make it I hilarious. think you're onto something, man. I, I think do. you're on. I, I think we need, to, we need to further this discussion. <laughs> I know. My camera lady was like laughing about it. She's like, I'll do it for you. She's like, that's fine. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure it'd be great. Um, but dude, I want to extend my thank you to you for, you know, it's, I've known you now for a little bit. I met you back at a conference a couple of years ago during COVID, but you're just a good dude, man. I really enjoy you taking the time and thinking of me to join you. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you associate with Cam or Michael and those people, you're in great hands. And I can say that after being around 17 years, cause I've rolled with pigs and shit and I rolled with angels and in heaven. So, I mean, I've done both and these are two good people, especially you Cam. So thank you for taking the time to uh, have me on. I really appreciate it. Dude, that's so kind. I didn't. I didn't pay him to say that. Just so everybody knows. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. I said because I wanted to. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for earning experience points with us today on Run the Block, part of the Cam Explains Immersion Channel. If you actually want to work with me or my team at No Clouds Media, connect with me on Instagram at cam.explains. There you'll find even more helpful content tips, growth strategies, our latest downloads, or if nothing else, I can guarantee you'll get a good laugh of myself or our pup Oliver throughout the day. Just hit me up at cam.explains. Bonus, if you are following me on Instagram, you also get first dibs on limited spots for the community we're building inside of our network, where we will have tons of free resources, overtime sessions, networking events, special guests, and much more planned as we grow. So be sure to follow along at cam.explains, and we will see you for your next session of Run the Block to earn even more experience points. Hope this helps. And remember, kindness. Pass it on. Bye for now.